Welcome into the All Things Bama podcast powered by BamaCentral.com, your Sports Illustrated home for all Alabama Crimson Tide news and information. I am your host, Tyler Martin, joined again by Joey Blackwell. And real quick, we have Joey on here most weeks. Uh, we're also going to be doing a rotating uh, kind of thing with, with some other uh, members of Bama Central, Edwin Stanton now, uh, Katie Windham, uh, potentially Chris Walsh is going to hopefully get back on here in a few weeks. But but we got Joey on here again today, and we're, we're going to discuss a, a large uh, array of topics. And like we did last week, we kind of did like a whip around around Alabama athletics and what was going on. You know, and Joey, since last week, I mean, Alabama, what happened on the football field? They picked up another huge transfer in Henry Toa Toa. Uh, Jimbo Fisher, you know, said uh, some pretty interesting things. Nick Saban had a great response and great rebuttal to that. And um, and two softball on on Thursday night got a big victory in the quarterfinals over Kentucky. Montana Fouts was incredible. Bailey Hemphill with two home runs that was clutch. And uh, baseball is headed out to uh, Baton Rouge for a pivotal series. You know, they got to keep uh, – Alabama's got to keep whatever momentum they have going. So, so we've got a lot to dive into the NFL schedule, a lot of former Alabama players, you know, their big-time matchups. But, Joey, first I want to start out with Henry Toa Toa. Um, what was your reaction when you saw that last Saturday, uh, that he was indeed uh, transferring to Alabama? And, and you know, what do, what do you – from your perspective, what do you expect out of the, uh, the Tennessee linebacker? Well, obviously a big get for Alabama, you know, and it, it, it once again goes to, you know, kind of prove Nick Saban right um, when it comes to, you know, this this new transfer rule is only going to benefit Alabama. And now you have a player from inside the conference on the, on, in another division coming over. Um, you know, he's a former blue chip recruit. Um, he's going to do a lot of great things. You know, linebacker was one of the things coming into this year that, People were a little bit concerned with on Alabama's defense. I mean, you do have solid linebackers, you know, on the outside like Will Anderson, and you do have good linebackers like, like Christian Harris. But the loss of um, a leader um, in Dylan Moses will be felt. Dylan Moses, of course, didn't really show up on a stat sheet as much as Alabama fans would have liked, but his leadership and communication did kind of help um, mold the defense together. Um, so having two o two o there will 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 be good. You know, last season he um, you know he finished with seventy six total, total tackles as a sophomore. Um, he also had a one second interception. Um, he really pr- provides a lot of versatility. I mean, the guy, the kid's just a sophomore, you know, and he saw a, a lot of room to improve. But if he, you know, but now that he's in Alabama's system, um, I'm sure he's going to thrive in it. Uh, he's just really a perfect puzzle piece that fits right in. Yeah. Uh, the, the thing to me about Henry Totoa is that. Obviously, he's got the, you know, he's got NFL projection. Um, he's going to be, you know, first round. He's a first round talent, no doubt about it. But I, and I did some radio hits this week, um, and I told everybody this who asked me about it. Everything is earned at Alabama. Nothing's given. So him coming in, you know, and the thing is, the interconference transfer rule in the SEC still has to pass, and there's an expectation between both parties that it will, that there's not going to be a snag in this. Um, so, you know, making sure that that happens and that, you know, goes through, um, you know, he's going to be joining this summer and he's going to be behind already guys like Jalen Moody. Um, and, and I just think, you know, I'm not going to go ahead and plug him in and be like, okay, he's a, he's a starter right there. I think he's got to, again, he's got to earn this, right? I mean, he understands how talented he is. And, you know, this was one of the, his high school recruitment was interesting because, 
this was the one of the wins that Jeremy Pruitt did get over Nick Saban at the time. But that relationships that you build in high school with somebody, even if he doesn't commit to your school, you know, you've got a second chance now to get him in the transfer portal. And that's exactly what happened here. But I, I just think, you know, Henry Totoa, he's going to have to show a lot in fall camp. He's going to have to show that he's ready to go, that he's in shape, and that um, he's ready to get after it. And I think at the end of the day, he will overtake Jalen Moody. But I think at the beginning, I think, you know, he's got to fight for this position. He's got to fight for the starting job alongside Christian Harris at the two inside linebacker spots. And if he does get it, you look around at the country, look around in the SEC, what school has a better linebacking core than the two inside linebackers with Henry Toto, Christian Harris, and the two outside guys with Chris Allen and uh, Will Anderson? Nobody. I mean, I, there's nobody that I can think of that has that kind of experience now at both positions um, and, and that has that kind of athleticism and talent because Will Anderson's a former uh, – he's going to be a future first-round pick. Uh, Christian Harris is projected to be the first linebacker to go in 2022. Like I mentioned, Tony uh, Toa Toa has the first-round talent. And Chris Allen, if he has another great season like he did in 2020 where he loved the SEC and tackles for loss – then he could play his way until the first into the first round or maybe even early second round. So this album of defense is loaded. Um, and I just think, you know, it's, it's a sign of the rich getting richer. And we kind of talked about this last week with Jameson Williams. The transfer rule is stupid. All for all, I think it's terrible for the health of the sport. But for the big name programs, it, it's pretty awesome for the big name programs. <laughs> yeah. and, that, and that's that's the point that I've been making the entire time. The trans, it, the, you said it perfectly. The transfer rule is stupid, and it's 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 broken. It's already broken. Nick Saban has proven how it's broken. Um, it 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 does really really give the the rich in college football an advantage. The the Alabamas, the Texases, the Ohio States, the USC's. You know, it it really does you know improve their standing and improve their ability because really they can reach out to anybody and pick them up in the off season like. It's and say, hey, you know, you didn't get as much action last year, or we think you're a, a talented player that deserves more playing time. Why don't you come on over here and you can practice with us from day one and uh, on upon your arrival on campus? And uh, you know, you're going to this is just the beginning. You know, you, we're going to in the next few seasons, we're going to see why there were so certain rules um, in place to, to make it more difficult to transfer because we've only had this this rule for only a few months now and we're already seeing how things are slowly um are, are slowly but surely falling apart and that it gives the bigger teams a huge advantage and it takes away from the smaller programs oh yeah and it obviously hurts the college football playoff expansion which eight of the 11 committee members want really really bad according to sports illustrated right now so it's i mean it's a whole mess but but just okay you think you think the one versus four matchups were embarrassing to watch, and you think those are blowouts? Get ready for the one eights. Get ready for the two sevens. Get ready for the three sixes. Get ready because because they're going to be even worse than what we have now. Um, but I'm on the train to go back to the BCS, but but nobody wants to follow me because you know it's it's not part of the group think. Oh well, um, Joey. Kind of moving off of that, uh, Jimbo Fisher. There's some audio uh, recently that got leaked out uh, that he you know was talking to the Houston Touchdown Club. A lot of AM boosters there, and he talked about how, you know, somebody asked him about, you know, how do you beat Nick Saban? You know, how do we get over this hump as a program? And, and Nick Saban said, well, we can't just wait until he retires. we got to beat his ass now. And then Saban responds to it and, and, and says, uh, you know, he was asked about it. And he the way, the way it was asked to him was, uh, you know, hey, Jimbo said he was going to beat your butt. He really didn't use that word. What's your response to it? And he goes, in golf? <laughs> in golf? 
And then later on, he had some coach speak about Texas A&M and the program Jimbo's built. And, you know, obviously they're very close friends and Saban's been a mentor to Jimbo and it was all in jest and all in fun. But, but when we look at the schedule, Joey, and it got me thinking, you know, if we could maybe rank maybe the top five hardest games in 2021 for Alabama, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm curious from your perspective, where do you think this team could slip up at kind of early on, you know, as we go into the summer, um, where, you know, kind of post-spring, you know, who are some of the tough tough challenges for Alabama uh, heading into the 2021 uh, summer and and really when we get into fall camp at the beginning of August? You know, I last season was probably the most difficult season that Nick Saban has ever faced in his career or probably will ever face in his career. You know, he had a 10-game SEC-only schedule, and on top of that, a lot of hurdles as far as regulated practice times and and, and how, length, how long the players could practice, what type of um, drills and what type of practices they could, they could undergo. Um, of no spring, no spring season, no A-Day, a, a very drastically shortened fall camps, um, 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 fall camps. And this season, you know, everything goes, you know, goes back to normal. You have 12 games, you know, you have a couple of what would be, Saban would never call them cupcake games, but we'll call them cupcake games. You know, there's a few of those in there. Um, but looking at teams that could potentially, you know, hurdle over on the beat Alabama you know it, in my opinion there's even less this year than there are last year which is um you know even though there's 12 games instead of 10 you know when I when I look at teams that that could potentially beat Alabama you know obviously Texas a and is is on the map as one that could always potentially beat Alabama um you also have teams like Ole Miss um and and teams like you know Arkansas or LSU um, Arkansas, of course, being the newcomer in that conversation, I think it's going to be very interesting to see how how Arkansas has grown from last year. Um, and then, of course, there's always Auburn looming there at the end. No matter how good or how bad Auburn is leading up to the Iron Bowl, you most of the time have to throw all that out the window, especially when it's in Auburn. Um, but, you know, as far as a top five is concerned, I mean, those – I think I just listed five teams right there, but – but I, I do think that while those teams certainly have an opportunity to beat Alabama this year, um, I think there's a wider disparity this year than there even was last year. And last year, everybody had to deal with the same things. You know, everybody had to deal with COVID-19. Most everybody had to have players that, you know, couldn't make it to certain games because of COVID. Um, and it was just a very difficult season for everybody involved. Of course, Alabama ultimately won out the entire year with its national championship in January. But um, I think there's a wider disparity. So even if we talk about what teams could beat Alabama this year, I think there's even a less likelihood this year because I think this Alabama team is much better on the defensive side than it was last year. It still has to improve on offense. You know, there's, you know, there's still some questions there, especially at, at quarterback. We know that Bryce Young will be the starter day one, but – how effective he is compared to Mac Jones or Tua Tagovailoa or Jalen Hurts over the past few years, you know, remains yet has yet to be seen. Yeah, uh, I agree with what a lot of what you said. Um, for me personally, I you know I'm kind of looking at. I do think A and M is the is the top dog in terms of who can knock off Alabama, right? I mean, they returned so many starters, with the exception of Kellen Mond, um, and, and a couple pieces on that offensive line. But their defense is obviously going to be better. They're, go they're going to be better at the wide receiver position. They've still got Jalen Wademeyer, the big tight end, who, who torched Alabama last year. So I think A&M, I think Jimbo, 
And Jimbo should have that kind of confidence that, hey, we're, we're running second right now in the SEC West. Um, I do believe A&M is, is that top competitor. And then, you know, if I had to go back down to five and kind of go up from there, um, five, you know, it, it's tough to me. Um, it's really I, hard to pick five. We probably should do a top three. <laughs> yeah, no, five, to be honest with you, I, I would probably say um, I would probably say Auburn. Auburn is at Auburn is at five um, because for one, you know, you're really getting a whole entire new scheme with Brian Harson. You're not really no. I mean, you'd have to go look at his Boise State stuff to kind of figure out what he's going to throw at you. It's just different, right? And and I mean, is Bo Nix going to take another leap? Is is he going to improve? Is is he going to stop throwing you know multiple pick sixes a game? Uh, we we don't know. We we don't really know. Um, because I think I think Bo Nix has a lot of talent. I think he really does. I think he needed somebody to kind of harness that talent. And I'm I'm curious to see if Brian Harson can do it. Gus Malzahn obviously couldn't do that. And Gus Malzahn still, even though Gus Malzahn was not great at developing quarterbacks, he still beat Nick Saban three out of three out of eight times. And that's better than anybody else in this country could do. And so I I think Auburn fans and I think Auburn in general, if if they're not seeing, you know, Harson beat Alabama, then it's kind of like, well, we we just fired Gus Malzahn and he had more success than anybody in the country against Nick Saban. What are we doing here? And I, I think I think that's a real issue that Auburn is going to have to run into. Um, I, I think Auburn at five, I think at four, I would put LSU. I think LSU is, is, is super, you know, talented in terms of the way they recruit and, um, how they're going to be better offensively. Um, you know, they they've, they figured out kind of their quarterback situation now. Uh, they've still got a quarterback battle going on, especially with TJ Finley gone transferring, but, but, you know, Max Johnson, um, uh, Brennan, you know, they're, they, they've got some other miles Brennan, they've got some pieces that are, that are going to be very, very interesting to watch and see if they could bounce back from a kind of miserable 2020 right outside of that big Florida win. Um, I think they're kind of the fourth toughest opponent. Number three, I'll actually go Miami. I'll go Miami at number three. Uh, Manny Diaz has really got that program on the right track. I'm curious though, you know, uh, Derek King, uh, he, he announces he's coming back for that extra year, but he tears his ACL in their bowl game. How healthy is he coming into this game in Atlanta? That's what I'm curious to see. And also defensively, um, they're, they're, they're really talented as well. They've got, um, they are losing, you know, Gregory Rousseau, but he opted out last year, but they're returning some good edge rushers, Alabama. We do know, I mean, they're probably going to move Evan Neal to left tackle, but then on the right tackle, it's going to be kind of, you know, either Chris Owens or, you know, if, um, if one of the freshman guys stand out, it might be either him. So it's, it's going to be either one of them. It's going to be tough to kind of, you know, the offensive line is going to be challenged especially in that Miami game, just with Miami's front and how deep they are. So Miami at three, and then I've got Florida at two. Um, Florida, you know, they're, they're interesting to me because they lost so much offensively with Trask, Pitts, and Tony. Um, defensively, they should be better. Um, but, you know, Dan Mullen has, has proven to be a, a very, very, very successful play caller. And I think, you know, he might give Alabama fits. And and that's only really because it's so early in the season. And I think Alabama, I think if you look at the schedule, the toughest part of the schedule is that, 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 that two game stretch where it goes Miami, then Mercer and then Florida's right. So you've got Mercer, that cupcake kind of sandwiched between the two Florida schools. And then the second toughest stretch is the back-to-back against Ole Miss at home and against Texas A&M. And, you know, maybe Ole Miss is at five, maybe Auburn shouldn't be at five, you know, Ole Miss is arguably returning the best quarterback in the SEC in Matt Corral. 
Um, but you know, it's just, you know, it's kind of a mixed bag of what you're going to get. So, um, that's how I would rank it right now. I would probably say Auburn and Ole Miss are kind of right there at five, but, but LSU, you know, should be better. Florida, you know, they might take a step back offensively, but because it's so early in the season, you know, Dan Mullen might, might give Alabama a little bit of some fits with, especially with Emory Jones and, and, you know, some other skill players that they have. And I do think Miami will be more of a tougher challenge um, than it would Alabama seen in a few other openers in the past, but that's kind of where I'm thinking on that. Yeah. I think Florida is going to present probably the biggest threat. I mean, they did lose some huge key players last you know, from last year and Kyle Travis, Kyle Pitts, you know, Kadarius, Tony, they did lose a lot of offensive uh, firepower, but at the same time, you know, um, Dan, uh, Dan Mullen did a, did a great job against, you know, we, we, we forget, you know, we all remember that Alabama won the SEC championship, but it got pretty close there at the end. Um, now, obviously, the secret to that success was really Kyle Trask and, and Kyle Pitts who are now gone. But um, having, you know, Florida as, as, you know, the SEC opener for Alabama is not really how you want to start it off. You typically want to have some smaller teams to start off as, uh, in your conference to get you warmed up. But, you know, having Florida's the first SEC game of the season for the Crimson Tide, that's going to be a tough one, um, especially since it's at Florida, you know, on the road and in the swamp. Um, it's, it's definitely going to be a tough one. Um, and then you have Southern Miss and then Ole Miss. You know, that, that's a pretty that's a pretty tough game stretch. I mean, obviously Southern Miss doesn't really present too many threats, but having those three games close, you know, in close proximity with, Ole Miss, you know, and Lane Kiffin and Matt Corral, what they what they were able to do last year against Alabama, um, you know, at Oxford, um, it's good. It's going to be tough, but at the same time, like I, like the point that I made before, I think there is a wider disparity this year between Alabama and, and the other teams of the conference. Um, I think that Alabama has the ability to run the table just like they did last year, and I mean, and if you, if anybody you know doubts that, you know, you really have to go back and take a look at how many times that. I've said over the years, oh, you know, they might lose two games or they might lose three games or, you know, or one game. This year, I, I really think the odds of them going undefeated in the regular season are higher than they've been in quite some time. And then, Joey, we didn't even mention Mississippi State, who in ESPN's football power index, Mississippi State was a top 10 team, which I don't know how they're grading that. I know Mississippi State's got some nice prospects. Uh, their left tackle is going to be a first-round pick. I, but still, though, we, we didn't even Mississippi State, mention Mississippi State, who in ESPN's full power index is top 10. I just I felt like that was worth repeating right there uh, because it's such a shock to me, to be honest with you, with, with how, uh, how their first season under Mike Leach went. But, but that's neither here nor there. That's neither here nor there. Um, let's stick with the gridiron, though, Joey. And the NFL schedule got released this week. Pretty freaking awesome. I'm excited to see that calendar fill up and kind of see where some former Alabama guys are going. To you, what's the, uh, what's the most important and what's the one that you're kind of most uh, excited about in terms of former Alabama players matching up each other in 2021? Well, you know, I wrote a story talking about, you know, you know, the six first, the six first round picks and where they're headed. I think a really uh, some of the games I'm most excited about are between the the Dolphins and the Patriots. You know, they have to play each other twice, and if Mac Jones is the starter, you have a lot of uh, former Alabama players on that field. You know, you have Mac Jones and Damian Harris on, on the on the Patriots side of things, and then and Christian Barmore. And then on the Dolphin side of things, you have, you know, Tua Tagovailoa and, and, and Jalen Waddell. Um, another, another, solid, um, another solid grouping is um, the Eagles schedule. You know, they have to they, – they drafted, of course, Devontae Smith this year and Landon Dickerson. 
the, uh, opening weekend, one of my favorite games to look out for is they're they're playing at, at Atlanta. You know, of course, Julio Jones and, and Calvin Ridley. Um, the Raiders play a lot of play teams this year that have former Alabama players, um, which, of course, Alex Leatherwood's on on that group. And then we, we know Josh Jacobs and Henry Ruggs as well. And Kenyon um, Drake. Have, yeah, and Kenyon Drake, yeah. And Lester and, Cotton. Yeah, there's a lot of former Alabama players on that team, and they have to face – um, let's see, I'm looking at their schedule now. Um, they have to face the Dolphins. They, um, let's see, they have to face the Broncos and Patrick Sertertain and Jerry Judy. Washington um, has a lot of Alabama players. players. Yeah, there's just a, there's, there's a lot to look forward to. If you're an Alabama fan, there's a lot to look forward to in the NFL this year because you have a, the way that the schedule you know, fell this year. Um, there's there's a lot of matchups between top former Alabama players, and it's going to be really exciting. Um, but if uh, I think the Raiders' schedule is interesting, as well as the Eagles' schedule, um, Najee Harris with the Steelers, um, he also has to go and take take on the Eagles and take on the Raiders. Um, and and then in, in the middle of it all, Derrick Henry and the Titans they take on. He's going to have to show who's boss with a lot of the uh, former Alabama players because the Titans play quite a few teams with Alabama as well. Yes, and one thing I was confused about when I was watching all the coverage and all the lead-up, you know, the NFL just – and the NFL did a great job. um, The NFL did a great job in terms of marketing and putting these matchups at certain points. I really loved how they did it um, and how they made it. You know, every game feels like, you know, there's a big storyline, right? But they keep calling this the biggest season ever. Isn't every season the biggest season ever? Well, I think the reason they're calling it the biggest season ever is it's kind of a a pun – in a way, because, you know, they've expanded it to 17 games this year, over 16. So I think it's more of a pun in, in regards to it being the biggest season ever. But that being said, you know. I, I get that, but it's like every Tim, as, as, as an NFL fan, it's like every season. You know what I mean? Like every season. Well, it, it, every think, season is the biggest season because it's the next season. I, I mean, I, I can agree with that. I think also, you know, the NFL teams left and right are announcing that they're going to have full capacity, whereas last year – most um, most teams didn't have any fans except for, you know, friends and family of the players and coaches. So, you know, I think, you know, this return to normalcy in the sport uh, means a lot to both the NFL and its fan bases. Um, so I think, you know, this return to having football and jam-packed stadiums and, and high-profile matchups, you know, the New England Patriots versus Kansas City Chiefs type matchups, you know, stuff like that. Um, I think that we're seeing more and more of those, you know, I think that's why we saw a lot of high profile matchups scheduled this year is that they want to hype up the sport and, and, and bring people back that might've taken a, a year off because, Oh, you know, it's COVID-19. The rules are different. The season doesn't really count that kind of stuff. So it's going to be fun. Um, I'm, I looked at my own Seahawks schedule. I was sad to see they don't play the Titans or the, they don't play the Falcons at all. And when they play the Titans, they host them. Uh, in Seattle, so I won't be going to a Seahawks game this year, but um, it is it is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, and um, and on Thursday, you know, I kind of ranked the top ten matchups involving these former Alabama standouts. And real quick, you know, I'm going to just go from ten to one. Ten, I had the, the two matchups between the Giants and the Washington football team. You know, Alabama uh, defensively for both sides. I mean, you've got Alabama players everywhere. Mc- Xavier McKinney, Reggie Ragland, Ryan Anderson. Um, all in the Giants. Then you've got Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, Landon Collins for Washington. Cam Sims is also on uh, Washington. Carson Tinker's on New York. Nine, you have Mark Ingram versus Derrick Henry, Houston. 
in Tennessee. And it still remains to be seen what Mark's role is with the Texans. Uh, if he's, you know, he'll probably all have to be the second string, but still when Al- when two of Alabama's Heisman trophy winners, um, it's probably mu- it, when they link up, it, it, it's must watch television. Right. And then, you know, eight uh, Steelers Browns, those two matchups, Minka Fitzpatrick headlines, those <laughs> headlines, those uh, former Alabama players for the, uh, for the Steelers. And then the Browns, obviously you look at it. I mean, it's crazy. Uh, Mac Wilson, Jedrick Wills, Damian square, Ronnie Harrison, um, I'm interested in the Ravens Broncos matchup because there's um, two uh, Alabama defensive back duos: Anthony Everett, Marlon Humphrey versus Pastor Tain and uh, Kareem Jackson. I'm very fascinated with that, and Jerry Judy in there in Denver too. Washington Vegas Eagles Cowboys, right? Devontae Smith, uh, Jalen Hurts, Landon Dickerson versus Trayvon Diggs and Amari Cooper. I'm really excited about those two matchups. Obviously, uh, four. Dolphins, Ravens, and then Falcons, Cowboys, um, and then at three, Dolphins, Raiders, and then two, I put the Eagles-Falcons game that you already hit. And then number one, I mean, how could you not put the two times that Mac Jones and two are going to link up? It could be the first time in over 50 years that two Alabama quarterbacks could face off against one another. That's something to get fired up about, man. Yeah, and it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of fun. Um, those having both those teams in the same division, uh, it's it's gonna be a lot of fun having to see them play twice a year, especially with the both being such young quarterbacks, and they're probably both gonna be at their respective places for quite some time, knowing that we could potentially see them both play each other twice a year for the next decade or so is is uh, definitely exciting. All right, Joey, let's wrap this up with a couple uh, diamond sports uh, for the Crimson Tide Thursday night. Alabama gets a five to one victory over the Kentucky Wildcats in the quarterfinals of the SEC softball tournament, where we have a couple of reporters um, covering that for our site, Edwin Stanton, Katie Windham, and, um, and wow, just what a night, right? I mean, Montana Fouts ties the SEC uh, tournament single game record of strikeouts with 15. She did it in the seven innings, uh, you know, Alexi or Soros, she did it. She needed 10 to do it, right? And then you had Bailey Hemphill tying the Alabama career home run record at 60. She hit two bombs. Um, and that second one, that second one, she launched to the freaking moon. Um, so that was that was pretty exciting to see. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, they're they're gonna face Tennessee on Friday afternoon, Friday evening-ish. And then, you know, if they win that, it's more than likely Florida. Florida's gotta play Missouri. But, I mean, we could be seeing Alabama. You know, Alabama finished second in the SEC regular season standings behind the co-champions in Arkansas and Florida. But now Alabama's got a really good shot at getting revenge over Florida after losing two out of three this past year um, or this past season to them um, in the SEC tournament championship game. And, I, you know, really can stake the claim as who's the best in the conference. Um, and I think, I think they've got a great shot to do it. I think the pitching, you know, because you, you're probably going to throw Crystal Goodman against Tennessee, and then you're probably going to see Montana in that game against Florida. Uh, I, I think they've got a great shot to do it. I think their bats have got to stay hot. You know, they've won, what, 10, 11 straight now. So they're really feeling it themselves. Um, but this is the time, man. You want to get hot in May. You want to get hot going toward June, toward that Women's College World Series. Um, but I think Alabama right now is in a really good spot. I, I, I do so. I do believe as well. And, you know, like you said, they've won 11 straight. They're in a good – they, you know, kind of – I think one of the problems earlier on is, you know, they had they, – they suffered a couple of injuries over the course of the season, and that really kind of helped uh, hurt them in finding their team identity. And I think over the past 11 games, they really have figured out that identity and what what they're good at, what, they're, what they need improvement, and they've been – excellent over the past you know few weeks here 
Um, of course, it, they're still going to have their hands full with Florida, but if Fouts is able to pitch like she was last night against Kentucky, uh, it's going to be lights out for the Crimson Tide. And But first, I think the more, the more difficult game of the two really is Tennessee. This is a very talented Tennessee team, um, and, you know, not having Montana on the mound. Crystal Goodman, of course, is an excellent pitcher, but, you know, she's not Montana Fouts. Um, and so you're going to have to have, you know, her step up and take care of the Lady Volunteers. Um, it's definitely it's definitely within grasp. I mean, um, I think, you know, after tonight, we'll be talking about, you know, how you know, how they stack up against Florida tomorrow. But it's not it's going to be a bump in the road tonight. It's not going to be an easy win. Yeah. And just kind of looking at what Tennessee was able to do to Arkansas. I mean, Tennessee threw a one hitter. I mean, this girl, um, this girl Rogers. Uh, sorry, I'm not I'm kind of blanking on her first name right here, um, but she threw a, a no hitter. Oh, uh, no, sorry, she threw a one-hitter, my bad. She threw a one-hitter. That's still super exciting. And, I mean, Arkansas, you look at Arkansas, I mean, they only gave up two hits and one run. So, um, you know, I, I doubt that Tennessee throws her again. Um, just these, these back-to-backs, I really doubt that. So, Alabama might get lucky and not have to really face her. Um, but that's tennis. That's, you know, that's obviously Tennessee's best pitcher. She's got a 1.62 ERA. Um, but – you know, it's you know this is still going to be a challenge for Alabama, but I think they can get it done. They've proven, you know, this season that um, that they can they can get through that, and um, that they've been able to kind of ride some ups and downs, right? Because I think Alabama softball fans in general, you know, they were kind of they were freaking out, right? When Alabama lost the series to Kentucky earlier in the year, you know, when they lost the first two against Florida, uh, it was just you know, the Alabama. Fan, I mean, they they were worried about the offense. And they were worried about the injuries, too, because Alabama has been dealt with so many unfortunate injuries. I think of Bailey Dowling. Um, I, you know, I think of, uh, you know, so, so many so many other girls. And, uh, you know, they're able to overcome that now. And it's really showing on the biggest stage for the sport. And uh, I think Alabama, they've got some – I think they're the hottest team right now in the SEC. I think that's um, – you can't really debate that right now, winning 11 straight. Um, you know, and if they if they would have won maybe one more, you know, against uh, earlier in the regular season, you know, against Kentucky, or they would have won one of the ones against Florida, they we could have had a three way tie for the SEC regular season champion. So Alabama's right there, and it's going to be exciting. And and I, I I'm gonna be honest with you, Joey, I'm really hoping for the Alabama Florida final. I think because I think that's what most softball fans want to see, because they know it's going to be you know a dang good matchup. Well, it's already a rivalry, and it's a rivalry for a reason. And uh, it's going to be must must watch softball on Saturday. Should that be the case? Yeah, but um, but yeah, Ashley Rogers uh, was unbelievable against Arkansas for Tennessee. That that that's uh, that was her first name, Ashley Rogers. She had she had twelve strikeouts, so she was really close to Montana. Uh, Montana's fifteen. Um, but then two on the on the diamond and baseball. Joey Alabama heads to the historic Alex Box Stadium to take on LSU. LSU, you know, they've also had an up and down season, kind of like Alabama has had also in, in baseball, you know, uh, maybe not as good as they would have expected the season to be. Um, Alabama, you know, the Alabama's trying to fight just to be 500 because if Alabama's 500, they're getting into a regional. Um, LSU, you know, 9 and 15 in the conference, 30 and 18 overall. Um, they kind of need a run, you know, here late and here in, here in Hoover in a couple of weeks to really get going. But um, what, what are you expecting out of Alabama this past week? I mean, they only they lost two. They, they, they're more likely, you know, they probably should have won that Friday night game against Vanderbilt. They lose on Saturday. They get the Sunday game canceled. Um, they didn't have to face Jack Leiter, who's been dealing with some personal, I mean, 
some some issues of his own. You know, they don't know if it's injuries. I mean, Vanderbilt's been really, you know, tight-lipped about that. So they did face Kumar Rocker, and they got six runs against Kumar Rocker. Um, and, we, and if I would have told you that before that game, Joey, you would have probably thought, okay, Alabama won. They didn't. What does Alabama need to do to make sure that doesn't happen against a very talented team like LSU? Well, LSU and Alabama really stack up very evenly. And, you know, as far as team batting average, uh, I believe Alabama is a, is a 2.73 and LSU is a 2.78. In fielding, I mean, sorry, in pitching, the average, their overall ERA for Alabama is 4.45, LSU is 4.58. So these teams really stack up very closely to each other in both pitching and batting department. Um, I think Alabama could – this is their shot to kind of – they still have the the weekend – they still have the three-game series against Mississippi State next weekend to close out the the, seat, the regular season. But um, I think this is their last shot to really um, win a series and kind of go out with a bang. Um, I think they could win two out of three. You know, they're starting Dylan Smith on Saturday. Um, Tyler Ross will be the Friday night starter. They haven't announced the starter for Sunday yet. That will obviously be determined by how they do in the first two games. Um, but you know, this is an Alabama baseball team that's that's really improved over the past couple of months. Um, they they have had their their you know their bumps, but they've also have you know two SEC series sweeps under their belt, which is the first time in, in a while that that's happened for this program. Um, and I, I think they could I think they could win the series this weekend. Unfortunately, against Mississippi State, I don't think that's the case. But they could definitely make an impact this weekend and get themselves maybe slightly better seating heading into the SEC tournament in two weeks. Yeah, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really curious to see uh, the relief, the bullpen, um, how they respond from last week uh, into, I mean, Dylan Smith, you know, wasn't his best day on last Saturday against Vanderbilt. Um, but, but, you know, his name, it, it's crazy to me because I look at a lot of MLB draft boards and mock drafts and things like that. And, you know, his name has kind of risen really, really um, up there um, compared to what it was, you know, even last year or even before he came to Alabama. So, you know, uh, Alabama, you know, in prelip too, I'm interested to see where prelip that does Alabama get him back when they go to Hoover or does he come back against Mississippi State? You know, where where's he – where's his head at, right? I'm interested to see that. Um, but, yeah, this Alabama team, you look at it, Joey – this is a really good series for them to be able to take maybe two out of three in this, right? Mm-hmm. No, I agree. Um, I think two out of three is, is, is very realistic in this series, you know, and, and going back to Dylan Smith, you know, he, he's been very impressive. I mean, if, if you know nothing about baseball and you, you took a look at Dylan Smith's um, record, you know, he's one in six right now. You think, Oh, this guy's terrible. But what you have to also factor into it is the run production. When he's on the mound. I don't know what, what bad juju happens, but, the, the run production on the opposite side when he's on the mound has been horrific this year. Um, and, but he on the, on the mound has been lights out. I mean, if you look at his games, they're almost always lost by one or two runs and they're typically low scoring affairs by the other team. Um, but Dylan Smith has doing a great job. I think him starting on Saturday is, 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 a, is, you know, has gives them a great opportunity to win that Saturday game. I think, they can also win on Friday with Ross if, if the if the good Tyler Ross has two versions of himself. He has the good version and the really bad version. And if the good version of Ross he shows up on Friday, I think they could easily win two out of three games. Um, I think it's their last you know their last chance at really you know <coughs> staking a claim for for a regional before the SEC tournament, and I think they're going to see it that way. 
Well, Joey, thanks for coming on here once again, man. We really appreciate it. And, you know, I appreciate your insight to baseball for sure because um, you are really the only guy who, who really follows this team really deeply. Um, so we appreciate you and what you do um, in that area, of course. And um, thank you again for your insight just all over the board as well for Alabama Athletics. And this has been another episode of the All Things Memo Podcast. Thank you for listening. Make sure to like, or rate, subscribe.